Oh, it is really good to be together and just grateful that, grateful that uh, the Lord's allowed us to have this day together. Uh, welcome. Part of me wants to say welcome to Sacred Mission Church, but it's really welcome Sacred Mission Church because the church is the people. And so, uh, man, if, if you are here and you don't know if you're a part of the church, um, know that uh, you're very welcome here. And uh, this, is, this is hopefully a place where all of us are pursuing Jesus, and it might be even in pursuing him in the sense of just wondering if he's real. And it's like, be here as, as long as you need to be here for that, because that is worth every moment that you'll be here considering the claims of Jesus uh, than, uh, than those who, uh, who, who have given their lives to him, who are many of us in here. None of us deserve that, but we are all stepping into that and being the church together. So, so welcome, Sacred Mission Church. Uh, today is our 21st week in the book of John. So 21st week in a row in the book of John, we're almost halfway through the book, and, and it has been majestic. It has been just amazing, all of the, all of the beauty that we have encountered so far. And what we're going to do is just to, to, to keep where in the summertime there's a lot of in and out and vacations and all that stuff, is in uh, next week will be our last sermon in the book of John, Lord willing, until the fall. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll take a break from that, and then we're going to do two smaller series, uh, one kind of on like who we are as a church, uh, then another on this, uh, there's been just this amazing book that was written called Gentle and Lowly and uh, through Crossway Publishers, and uh, we've been given 150 copies of this book, and we're going to do a short series on the book, and, and it's just, it's not like, you know, we're abandoning the Bible and we're going to focus on this book. It's actually a beautiful book, uh, really lifting out of Scripture things that Jesus says about himself, and I think it'll be great, like summer reading, uh, but then be, be really edifying, hopefully, for each of us, and so, uh, so that'll be hopefully the month of August, uh, then we'll, we'll go into just incredible John chapter 11, John chapter 15. There's just a lot going on there. And then hopefully we'll, we'll be wrapping up the book of John with the crucifixion and the resurrection right around Easter, Lord willing, of next year. So, uh, man, it's just been, as I was thinking and looking at John chapter 7 this week, is it's been fascinating as a church to see where the Lord has brought everybody from. So we've got people like in this room from Collins, Maxwell, Colo, uh, Melbourne, State Center, uh, who have been coming here, but then we even have people who have moved here feeling a call of God to be a part of this. So moving here from Oklahoma, from Osceola, from Minnesota, even though it wasn't totally, it worked with Oklahoma, Osceola, um, Minnesota, Pennsylvania have all moved here, and then we have two families who are here right now, too, who are feeling called to to move here, and, and I have had more conversations in the last two years about where to live than I did probably in 10 years combined, and just more prayer on, Lord, would you, would you allow these people to have a home? Would you allow them to maybe have a home that's not going to fall down in the next week? You know, would, you, would it be a, a nice, safe place? Would it be accessible? Would it be affordable? Would it be available? You know, like all of those uh, questions and, and praying that way. And one of the things that I think is, uh, um, and, and we've even seen in our, in our church, we have a lot of stories already in the two years of our church of really miraculous things to just provide homes for people. 
And, and you might have that story even if you've lived in your same home for 20 years. It's been like, it feels miraculous that, that I can live here. So one of the things that's fascinating in John chapter 7 that we're going to look at today is that the Jewish people actually had a holiday connected to their homes. Like they, they had a holiday that they would celebrate once a year that was connected to their living situation. And it was called the Feast of Booths, Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so what was going on here is during the time of Moses, the people of God had been in slavery for over 400 years. So they had lived in Egypt and they had been in slavery for over 400 years to the point that they, many of them didn't even remember or there weren't even any family stories of like, like we don't even know what it feels like to be free. And then God raised up Moses and a lot of incredible things happened to free, people estimate close to 2 million people from slavery to be free people and then God led them physically down a road where their survival would have to be 100% from God. So they weren't like walking down this road full of job opportunities, full of grocery stores, where it's like, oh, here, we're, well, here's another hy right here in the desert. Like, who could imagine, right? He, he led them into a wilderness. Think no trees, nothing green. It's only dust and rocks. He led two people, two, two million people into the desert for 40 years with no opportunities for jobs, no opportunities for grocery stores. And by his own hands, he provided every meal miraculously for 40 years. And then he also miraculously provided homes, tents for two million people to live in for 40 years. And so once a year, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booze, once a year, they would all, everyone who lived in Israel would be called to all go to Jerusalem and spend a week living in tents in the city, commemorating God's miraculous provision of a home for them. And they did that every single year. And as Jesus, I mean, the book of John is just a work of genius because it's designed by, by Jesus. It's designed by our God. But the setting that Jesus' words happen in are just dripping with meaning. And in John chapter 7, it's six months after John chapter 6, and they were celebrating the Feast of Passover, which, uh, man, if you didn't catch any of those, there's a, there's a lot of details there that I want you to catch. And so if you go to our website, sacredmission.church, or our podcast, a Sacred Mission Church podcast, you can listen to some of those and kind of catch some of the significance of that time period. So six months later now, it is the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, and um, where people are coming to celebrate God's provision of a home, and they're about ready to step into 
things they never imagined, the significance of what Jesus is actually here to provide is a home for us in a much more ultimate sense. And so I think John chapter 7, if you're like, well, you know, does a feast of booze from the first century in Jerusalem, is that really going to change my life today? Is that really going to affect my life today? And I, I really, truly believe, and we've been praying this morning, that yes, the answer is yes, because the, the same God at work then and the things that were communicated at this point in John chapter 7 are, I think, like things that need to be the point of our lives and, and get into us today. So, so we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of John chapter 7. Can I pray for us as we, as we step into that? Lord, I pray that we would not play at church today, that we wouldn't just come in and be like, well, I just kind of did my religious thing and I'm going to just leave and not think about it again. But whenever we encounter you, whenever we encounter your word, Lord, would, would all of us be changed? Would we be transformed? Would we grow into the areas that you're wanting us to grow into? Would we just be made alive in you? Would, would these words not be Tim Kimberly's words? These are not my, would they, as these words go out, Lord, would they find their home in each one of us? And would we recognize that, oh, this is God speaking to me. So, Lord, would you personally direct me to only share the things that you would want to share with us, things that I might say that are not things that you're saying? Would they just float away? But the things that you're saying, would they, would they truly take root and grow and transform us and transform our community? For your glory, we pray. Amen. All right, verse 1 of chapter 7 says, After this, after everything, six months later, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, down in the south, area around Jerusalem, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, these are biological brothers, his brothers said to him, leave here, and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. Verse 4, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So we know at this time that Jesus' actual brothers and sisters, um, they're actually half-brothers and sisters because 
Jesus, his mom, is Mary, but he's miraculously conceived. And so his, the rest of his siblings, which we know there are at least two sisters and two brothers because they're always spoken of in plural. There could be more, but there's at least two brothers and two sisters um, who are biologically full blood with Mary and Joseph, that they actually um, are, were, were, we see here in verse 5, they do not believe in Jesus. They know he exists, <laughs> you know, they're, he's their oldest brother, but they don't believe him as Savior at this time. And then it's kind of confusing here because it's like, what are you saying but they're like, hey, you know how people in Jerusalem are trying to kill you? You should go to Jerusalem. So one option is you should go and be killed. Another option that is happening here is, um, hey, we don't believe you, but you sure talk a big talk, saying that you're the Messiah. And a lot of people believed at the time, most people believed at the time, that what the Messiah was going to do is just like basically make a great country that would exist for a lifetime and, and would conquer the Romans, would return Israel back to a lot of its former glories. And they had such a narrow view of what, what they just weren't reading and hearing scripture. And that's what Jesus is telling us throughout the book of John so far is like, if you guys actually paid attention to what's being said here, you'd recognize what the Messiah will do is set up a kingdom and it is way bigger and more eternal than you are even, even dreaming of. And so with his brothers and maybe brothers and sisters saying, hey, you should go to Jerusalem. People are trying to kill you there. They might be saying like, hey, you're talking a big talk. So like, you know, put your money where your mouth is, step into it, like this would be a great moment for you to overthrow everything. Or they might be saying, hey, go there, you're talking a big talk, like we call your bluff. Like we're calling your bluff, let's see you do your thing, if this is who you think you are. And um, so Jesus here, they are all like, hey, we know God's ways. We know what God's all about. We have our view of what God is like, and so you should do this. All these people with these preconceived, Jesus, this, this is the Jesus I want you to be. This is the Jesus that you should be, so, so be like this, Jesus. And um, Jesus is like, I will not go to Jerusalem under your terms. That is not who I am. And so he, he's not like afraid of going, but he says, my time has not yet come. You have no idea what you're asking me to do. I, you're asking me to overthrow the government. I will do that, but I'm not doing that right now. You're asking me to be killed. I am here for that. Not right now. There's more yet to come. And these people are listening to each other. They're dialoguing with each other. His brothers were probably chatting with each other. They're listening to each other, but they need to listen to Jesus. They actually need to hear what he has to say. And this is a huge point, I think, that's true for them and hopefully really encouraging for us and true for us, which is a people quick to speak need to listen to Jesus. A people that are quick to speak 
need to actually listen to Jesus and be like, hey, we hear that this stuff is going on. I'm dying to hear what you have to say. I'm really interested to hear from you. Like, how, how are you doing this? Like, like it's, we, we should come to him, but these people are coming to him with their minds made up. This is who you should be. And he's just like, could I maybe get a word in here? And so this is where Jesus speaks then in verse 14. So he does go to Jerusalem on his terms. And then in verse 14, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. I mean, just the... He, he, he is the revolutionary. He is not... You know, if your view of Jesus is just this little weak baby in the manger, like that baby grows up and shakes the world. And he is more powerful than any, anyone that we could ever think of. He's, he's known as the commander of the angel... The armies of the angels of the Lord. I mean, the power of Jesus is profound. He is truly fully powerful, and he unashamedly just goes to the center. At the Feast of Booths, where the whole country is supposed to be in the city, he walks to the center of the city, to the temple, and starts teaching. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? He has no degrees, doesn't have a PhD, Verse 16, so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him, of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Verse 19, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. He's speaking of when he healed the man at the pool on the Sabbath. And that was the catalyst for everybody wanting to kill him because he did a miracle and healed a man who had been paralyzed for over 30 years. And he did this on the Sabbath. And they're like, how dare you? We must kill you. And he says, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but it's from the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Man, verse 23 is like Jesus being like, oh, you want to go academic? You want to talk about the law? All you PhDs with the law? Let's go there. And drops the mic. And he, he, he basically says like, you guys think you're so wise following Moses and Moses followed God, and you're not following the God of Moses. And by the way, you're wrong about Moses. And Jesus is able to do all that in two sentences, like, like he can. I mean, Twitter would be like... Um, and then, so they say that he has a demon if Jesus knows something that they don't know. We don't know of anybody seeking to kill you, so you must have a demon because you know something we don't know. 
And they're like accusing Jesus of all this. And Jesus is speaking to people who I started thinking about like just all those shows like The Voice, um, America's Got Talent, American Idol. And I think even on The Voice, like they sit in like thrones. Don't, I mean, they've got those like amazing huge chairs that must be uncomfortable, but they look awesome when like they even move and turn around on their own and stuff. And they like sit in thrones while the performers come on the stage and then they judge the performers. And these people are like people sitting on their throne and being like, I'll be the judge of Jesus. And then Jesus comes out and Jesus is sharing stuff and they're like, well, this guy has a voice I haven't heard of before. He seems to really know what he's talking about, but he doesn't know what he's talking about. And they're like judging him on their throne. And I think it's important to like zoom out a little bit and be like, okay, we're on the ground. We're watching this happen. We're seeing people sit in their thrones, judging Jesus and be like, pause, time out. John chapter one has told us that there is not anything that exists that did not come into existence by the power of Jesus. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the one that's being judged. He even tells us before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I, I am. Jesus says that about himself. Moses was led by God, not the other way around. Moses didn't define God. Moses didn't lead God. Moses was led by God. And if these people, it's these people who are speaking that way to Jesus and are calling him on all of these things, being judges, and they're, they're judging the one who judges the world. They're condemning the one who says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. And they're like, we condemn you. And he's like, I'm not even doing that. And I'm actually one that could do that. I actually know all of your thoughts. I know everything all of you have ever done, and I'm coming here to save you, not to condemn you. And they're like, condemn him. How dare he? That's not the way I thought this was going to work. And Jesus boldly tells them, don't judge by appearances. Judge with right judgment. And this is, man, it's true then, it's true now, is that a judging people need to judge correctly. And man, like we, we can do the like, nope, don't like that. You know, like, I mean, our, our life is kind of set up where social media can hand feed us our judgment of the moment, you know? Hey, what do you think of this, 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 this? Judge, no, like, swipe, you know, wh whatever it is. And Jesus is like, hey, it's, it's not cute. Uh, it's not, these aren't just like well-meaning people in Jerusalem that I'm glad that they're really sincere about their views. Jesus is like, this, we're talking eternal things here. The stakes are really high. And if you're going to judge me, make sure you judge correctly. If you're going to call me on stuff, make sure that, that you're calling me correctly on things because the stakes are too high to be wrong. And then the people's response to Jesus in verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, 
Isn't this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. So some people are even like, why aren't people killing him right now? Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Are they not killing him because, like, they maybe think he is the one? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, so, so no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. I love that. Like, even with all this stuff, it's like, when it's not Jesus' time, dude is invincible. He's always invincible. No one takes his life. He lays it down. But when it's not his time, it's not his time. So he can stand right in the center of Jerusalem, full of people trying to kill him, say whatever he wants. They're not going to touch him. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? We see people there, they're wrestling with who Jesus is. Maybe this is the man they're seeking to kill. Well, if it is the man that they're seeking to kill, why isn't he being killed? Can he even be killed? Do the authorities even really know? Do the prophecies, it seems like we're all coming, kind of working off of this body of thought that the Messiah will be someone that we, we don't know where he came from. It'll just be like he's like dropped in from heaven and he'll have like no lineage or anything. And it's like, was that right? Were we interpreting those verses correctly? Which Jesus tells them later that they weren't. Others around me seem to be believing in Jesus. Maybe I should believe in Jesus. All stuff that these people are talking about. Um, man, if I don't believe in Jesus right now, like what more would I need to see to believe in Jesus? And I think these verses all take us to this, to this place that was true where Jesus was leading them and true where Jesus is leading us is that a seeking people need to find Jesus. A seeking people need to find Jesus. I've interacted with people who seem to be always seeking. You know, like they, they're kind of like walking down a hallway of their lives and they like go open a door and Jesus is in that door and they see all these things about Jesus and they're like, wow, all right, let me go check out other things maybe. You know, and then they walk down another hallway and open a door and it's like full of stuff. And it's like, wow, this is pretty cool. Like maybe stuff should be the center of my life. Then they walk down another, open a door and it's like Oprah and all these other like self-help type things and stuff. And they're like, oh wow, a lot of this, you know, like maybe this is what I'm looking for. And then they'll go back down the hallway and open the Jesus door and be like, oh, okay, okay. And then shut the door, then keep, and then just kind of spend all their time walking up and down the hallway and spend, spend their lives like always seeking and always being a professional seeker. And like, that's who I am. It's like, I'm just always, Buddhism, oh, sure, I'll give it a try. Hinduism, well, I guess I'll, I'll give it a try. Let's see if it sticks, you know, and just are always seeking. And these people here in John 7 are having this conversation. And let me just say, like, we need to seek him. <laughs> like, I mean, there are plenty of verses that say, seek him while he may be found. Like, seek 
the Lord. But when we find him, we should stop seeking other things to be the center of our lives. To say like, okay, I'm now pursuing Jesus. Yeah, I seek him in the sense of not like I'm looking to see if there are other saviors out here for me. But now like I have settled, put the full weight of my life on Jesus as my savior, the center of my life. And now I can say I'm no longer seeking a savior. I have been found by him. His name is Jesus. I've given my life to him. Are you a seeker? Well, I'm seeking in the sense of I'm pursuing Jesus every day, Lord willing, until he takes me home, but I'm not seeking for something else. And that is the section of John chapter 7. A lot of conversations about should we seek elsewhere? Should we, you know, if we do find somebody else, what would that person need to be characterized by for me to bow my knee to that person as opposed to to Jesus and to be found in him. So I, I, I think just ways of this, like how does this, and man, I, I trust that the Lord is, is already showing us things, that the Lord has already been revealing things to us, that, that he's already working with us. And I just say, man, just if you, if you feel like you're getting hit in the head by a two by four, that's actually a loving God um, seeking to set you free. And, uh, and bring life. And I just say, don't like put up the walls, don't resist him, don't like just start thinking about something else, but be like, oh Lord, like why not today for you to radically change me, affect me? And just a way to think about it is in order for us to enthrone Jesus. So to be like when, when I'm looking around and I'm like, Ryan Jones, and I see a throne next to Ryan Jones, and it's like, Jesus is sitting in that throne. <laughs> like, Jesus is enthroned in Ryan Jones' life. And he's seeking that to happen more and more as Jesus moves more and more into his life. And I could say the same in my hope for my life, right? But in order to enthrone Jesus, we have to dethrone ourselves. Like, man, and it's in dying that we live. It's in us not seeking to be the king of our mountain that we can let Jesus be the king of our lives. So in seeking to enthrone Jesus, we dethrone ourselves. So just a question, would you dethrone your ideas your way for your life to enthrone Jesus' way? You know, like in marriage, is it like, well, I've got my way that my marriage should look and so you're like, Jesus, you should go to Jerusalem because this is my way for you. And he might be like, hey, well, can I teach you my way for how your marriage should look? Maybe it's in desiring a spouse. Hey, Jesus, here's my list. Here's the 58 things that I need in a spouse. Stat, you know, or whatever. And it's like, hey, well, can I like maybe teach you a way, my way, of what to look for and, and to give you the grace and the power and the strength in that, in that journey. Um, man, just for our families, direction of our family. Like, Jesus, here's what my daughter's life should look like. Here's what my son's life should look like. Here's what my daughter's life should look like. And it's like, Jesus, what's your way for my kids? I want to enthrone your way and dethrone my way because then your way will become my way. And, and I'll realize, like, that's actually for our best, for our flourishing. A second question, kind of following the, the pattern of John chapter 7, how do you need to dethrone your judging to enthrone Jesus' judgment? 
And some of these will probably overlap, but man, I think like it's easy for us to become the judges of our world and to become the judges of our life and, and thinking that we can figure out eternal things through our perspective. And it's like, Jesus, you might even see things, you see things that I don't even see right now. Like you are the good judge coming to save the world, not to condemn the world. Um, would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you walk with me in me dethroning as being the judge of my world and enthroning that you're the judge of my world and show me what, what your judgment looks like in my life? Maybe in relationships that I'm in conflict with. Like, you're judge of both of us. Like, uh, show us a way forward. Third, when do you need to dethrone seeking to enthrone Jesus? Like, and you might say, well, I've given my life to Jesus. He's my Savior. And fantastic. Like, praise the Lord. That has, that's eternally, <laughs> eternally significant. And at the same time as us saying, hey, I, I have given my life to Jesus as my Savior. And even like the role of fasting, the role of fasting in the life of a believer is let me remove some things in my life to see and to maybe heighten my senses where I might be following Jesus and also seeking a bunch of other things to fulfill me. And when I settle in to Jesus, I want you alone to be the one that defines me, fulfills me, gives purpose to my life, then I'm actually free to have a healthy relationship with other people, with other things, because I'm not looking to them to be my savior. I'm looking to him to be my savior. I'm dethroning seeking to enthrone Jesus as the one that has found me. So, man, like as each of us are doing that, like that's, that's a living church on the move, Jesus on the move in our community and our community being transformed because people are being transformed. And people are like, what's happening? I want that to happen in my life too. And that's, that was my story on the rugby team at Northern Iowa in 1996, that I was seeing people around me being transformed and being like, Jesus actually, like, I know you. <laughs> and if, if he actually is saving you and not condemning you, then I think he might be able to do that for me too. And uh, what I'm seeing happen in your life, I would love that to happen in my life. What must I do? What must I do to follow him like that? What must I do to be saved? What must I do to grow in that way? And that's not, that's not a competition. That's people walking together, following Jesus and being set free by him. So, so Lord, I just thank you for this time. And I ask that you would do whatever you need to do in this place to, uh, to just have our hearts come alive as you are being enthroned in our life and as we are being dethroned, we don't want to be the king of our world. You fit that. We don't want to be our own personal savior. We don't want others to be our saviors or ones that we look to to fulfill us, to define us. Lord, uh, all of that will lead us down roads that make us less, lesser. Um, following you makes us more, more of what you've designed us to be more honest, seeing ourselves more correctly, seeing others more correctly, and then just having the joy of knowing that you're, you're changing us to be more like you, and that is, that is change that all of us resist and all of us dream to have happen in our lives. 
So, so Lord, would we move towards you? Would we be changed by you? For your glory, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, a uh, very appropriate way for us to respond is communion. And so this was Jesus' idea. This is his design for us. He's like, I, we will be with each other for, for way longer than we're apart. We'll be with each other forever until we are together. Do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. I will do this with you at the wedding feast of the Lamb. But what this signifies is as we take bread, it is his body lived in our place, given for us, that as we, as we take him and as we, as we consume his body, as, as we saw in, in previous uh, chapters of John, that, uh, that we are communing with him, being transformed by him. And then as we take his blood, which is wine or juice, obey your conscience there, um, we are really taking on and owning individually that it is his blood that washes me white as snow, his blood that has bought me life. And so the way that we're going to do it is a little bit differently. So uh, Jody and Scott will be having uh, plastic gloves on. And what we want to do is we want to serve you the bread, okay? So if you come up, just have your hands open like this. And what they will say to you is, um, is something along the lines of the body of Jesus given for you, okay? The body of Jesus given for you. And they will say it to each one of you. And the reason, and this should become, I hope, become a, 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 even a more sacred moment in the life of our church, is because the blood, the body of Jesus, was given for each one of us. Yes, us collectively, but each one of us. So for Jody to look in your eyes and say, "The body of Jesus given for you," like I hope that it forms in each of us, like, "Wow, like He did this for me." And then, so we'll, we'll take the bread, and then, and then as you, after you get the bread, uh, get wine or juice, and then we'll go back to our seats, and then hold on to it still, though, and then we'll take it as family together. Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, and man, you just feel like there's like unrepentant sin, like things that you've been living in that you know Jesus would not have you live in, and you just feel like you maybe need to do some, some work with him, before you come and take. It's okay not to take communion this week. Um, we don't want to lead anybody into hypocrisy. Uh, we want to lead us all into freedom. And so, so that could be okay not to, not to take this week. It just use that time to repent and to pray with him. And then, man, boldly come, come to communion. You can repent and then come. So that's, uh, please let the Lord guide you in that. If you are not at this time yet a follower of Jesus, instead of coming here, Come to Jesus. Give your life to him. Say, Jesus, you're my savior. I, I am yours. And then come to the table after that. So let's all respond. Let's come to him.